Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back in the screening room with a brand new intro. You like that? I do like hey, it. Hey, bringing out the big budget. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, the screening room podcast focusing on a couple of big studio releases and some interesting smaller films uh, this week to talk about, along with the usual uh, new releases on DVD and streaming. But we start with the remake of the 1995 Japanese anime favorite Ghost in the Shell. You are the first of your kind, but you're not invulnerable. Maybe next time you can design me better. You were dying. We saved you. And now you save others. I know I have a past. I'll find out who I was. Everything they told you was a lie. They did not save your life. They stole it. Yeah, gotta be honest, as much celebration as the original film seems to have around it, not a big fan. No. It was one that I thought, you know, you have to look at it now in the terms of when it came out over 20 years ago. So uh, I can see the vision of the animation if you're a Japanese anime fan anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see that. But uh, boy, I thought it was just a a mash of really bad writing and adolescent boy fantasy. Yes, that is exactly how I would define it. And it's not as though I'm uh, not an anime fan. I'm not a huge anime fan and I'm very jaded. I love Miyazaki. I love I love, I love, love Miyazaki. And um, and we did pay our penance in having to take our son when he was young to see all those Pokemon movies. That's right, we did. We did have to see <laughs> so every Pokemon it's movie. It's not like we haven't done our time. But, you know, it's it's more of these, you know, the R-rated, uh, yeah. more adult-oriented anime films that very often, to me, feel so overwrought and boob-tastic. Yeah. And, and I could deal with not having to deal with either. Very much so. The first, the original movie was rooted in tropes and cliches and and just bad writing i thought and story types that we've seen before right but so the concept is the body is a cyborg but the brain the physical brain is human and therefore is what carries the soul or the ghost the ghost yes and in the update they've made some changes in the update it's a near future major played by scarlett johansson is the first of her kind a human saved from a terrible crash or ish, has she been saved, who is a cyber-enhanced to be the perfect soldier devoted to stopping the world's most dangerous criminals. So, yes, it's a rumination on humanity, what makes us human in a world that's, that's increasingly computerized sure. and automated. Yep. And, uh, you know, this, I guess, give the, the original credit for getting into this so long ago. 20-plus years ago. Yeah, 20-plus years ago. But uh, now it has been updated. It's director Rupert Sanders, who did uh, Snow White and the Huntsman a few years ago. Kind of a film that had a lot of visual flash Mm -hmm. and flair without a whole lot going on underneath, which, you know, maybe kind of fits this movie. But uh, I think you made a point earlier about having someone, a director like that, who really didn't have the greatest resume being handed such a huge studio movie, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit a little bit curious, although maybe they were impressed with the uh, with the visual flair that he brought to his last film. And I will say the visual flair here is pretty darned impressive. It is. It is very impressive, often reminiscent of Blade Runner, which is, you know, never a bad comparison. Right. 
Yeah, there's there's elements of Blade Runner and Total Recall. A lot of it does seem as as the first movie did of a teenage boy who read a lot of Philip K. Dick stories <laughs> and uh, had some playboys under the bed. <laughs> you know, uh, there are you definitely see those those types of story elements sure, running through sure. here with identity and memory and are the memories real and, and things like that and uh, hacking into a person's mind, which is what the main villain is doing here, played by Michael Pitt and Major. Scarlett Johansson ends up having to go track him, try to find him. He's he's a cyber terrorist who's been able to track or be able to hack directly into people's minds and control them that way. So that is her task. But the closer that she and her partner, who's great, by the way, her partner who plays Batu, Pilu Azpek, I think is how you pronounce, uh, usually an actor in foreign films, he's great. He was fantastic in a movie called A, a War, War. Yeah. a few years ago. But he's he, really good in he's this. He's really good. Fun. And he looks almost exactly like, like the animated part. I mean, I have to give them credit that that even though her team has really smaller roles primarily mm -hmm. in this than they do in the animated version, that even down to the one guy's mullet, they yeah. really try to pattern her team after the animated versions, which is fun. Yeah, so uh, the closer they get to their target, the more they find out maybe things aren't quite what they seem, and maybe there's some shifting in their loyalties as they get closer to uh, the terrorists they're trying to track. But speaking of looking like the character, yes. a lot of brouhaha about the whitewashing of, of Scarlett Johansson's casting as Major. And of course, I think that criticism is more than fair. But Oh, my God, yes. But on the, I mean, they try to tap dance around it mm -hmm. and doing all that. I've seen some of the interviews, but you know, the, where the truth is, look, She's a big star, and we think she's going to put those human butts in the seats. Yeah, which, uh, not which that what that, it comes down to. Right, not that that's a valid reason. I no. mean, casting white actors to play Asian, or you know what, a lot of other roles has been happening in Hollywood since the beginning of film. Oh, yeah. And it just happened earlier this year when Tilda Swinton was cast in Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange mm -hmm. which yeah. is originally a, an Asian a male character. Uh, you know, I think that it's it's an invalid sort of, I mean, it just is. I mean, historically speaking, people now look back and realize that's gross mm -hmm. to, to cast a white actor in an Asian role just because you assume that more people are going to come see that person than would come see, yeah. a, a, you know, a racially appropriate actor. Yeah. Um, and, but I think they think they can get a, around it because anime has a, uh, a history of animating characters who do not look Japanese. Right. And, and as is the case with Major in the in the original film. And yeah. they do, you know, make Scarlett Johansson look quite, quite a bit like that character. They do. And while that criticism is fair, on the other hand, you do get in her casting, you get a talented actress and you get a character who is brought some welcome notches down from just that adolescent fantasy. Right. But there's no there's no reason to think you couldn't have done that with someone else. That's true. Oh, no, that is very true. But you do, at least if you're going to uh, say that that whitewashing criticism is fair, and I do, you can at least take a little bit of, of solace in the fact that they've done better things with the character. The, uh, the character is less a sexist yes, object, yes. is what you're saying. Yeah, sure. more, more layered and more rounded. And I, I like the way that Scarlett Johansson played her, really, as a very machine-like, but right. a thinking Right. soul under there trying to figure out her her predicament and maybe her past and where she should go in her future. I mean, in the original cartoon, it seemed that right before she was ready to fight crime, she had to get rid of her coat and be completely naked. <laughs> yeah, they do address they do address yeah. several of the more uh, juvenile fantasy notions. Yeah. So uh, here, here, it's more of a 
skin tight bodysuit, which right, of course lets her be she invisible still, allows her to be invisible. You know, and of course she's still curvy, but it makes more sense as a quote unquote robot type yeah. of character. In the, it also in the never Japanese made very anime. much sense why in the animated version she was constantly shedding her clothes but keeping on her high socks. Right. And the main thing here, the visuals. They do look just, I think every, many times every corner of the screen just pops with something. But at the same time, the overall look of the film, I thought, maintains a cold, detached kind of aesthetic that fits the mood I think they were going for in this future civilization. Well, you know what else? I, I, I mean, I think that they did a very nice job with the story. To be yes. honest with you, I think the story not only makes more sense, but is more interesting. It's a much more polished narrative. Yes. Uh, not only, I mean, the dialogue is much better, much better. But yeah, it moves along. It moves along with more confidence, and it's easier to follow. I think. Uh, but at the same time, they they improved it only to a point. But there's still those some of those tired cliches, overwrought noir, uh, still at the root of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a noir feel, but a kind of a tired noir feel at times. Yeah. Um, but it does, they, they do take a few of the better scenes from the original film and recreate them yeah. in a really well-done way. Yeah, the uh, the truck driver, the whole truck driver yeah. sequence from the original. And Very it's, good. And it's far enough into the film that it's so welcome and fun. You're like, oh, here we're going to do this now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So you're right. It's a very, it's a more, more confident brand of storytelling then the first yeah. one was just seemed to be all over the place yeah. and and hard to follow and, and this, I liked Michael Pitt Michael Pitt who plays I always do. who plays Kuze the uh, the terrorist hacker that they go after yeah he's he's solid and he is just as much a machine as uh, major is uh, when they finally get to the the final confrontation and major starts to learn some secrets from her past but yeah it's a more confident story but it but at the same time they couldn't move too far away from it without it being a completely different story. So as much polish as they gave it, I think this the, the overall story at the heart of it just weighs it down. So I think you're going to get a couple of different camps here. The very the diehard fans. And there are many. It is that Ghost yeah. in the Shell is an incredibly beloved yeah. um, piece of animation. Okay, God bless you. I don't I don't understand no, I don't that. Either. But then I am I'm I'm not and I don't think you're gonna like this movie. If I, you love that movie, I don't think you're gonna no, like I this movie. I think you will be let down. Yeah. I definitely think you will be let down. But if you aren't particularly a fan of the original or if you haven't seen it i think this one might sit better with you as it sat better with me i certainly don't think it's a great movie no. but i do think it's an upgrade from uh-huh. uh, from the original ghost in the shell yeah and the next movie this week is animated comedy it's a suit wearing briefcase carrying baby pairing up with his seven-year-old brother to stop the dastardly plot of the CEO of Puppy Corps. Alec Baldwin is the boss baby. Life was perfect until that one fateful day. Tim, look who's here. Meet your new baby brother. He's sitting over the whole house. Look at him. He wears a suit. He's like a little man. He carries a briefcase. Who are you? Let's just say I'm the boss. Just wait till mom and dad find out about this. Power nap, uh, you were saying. Or as Twitter calls him, Glenn Baby Glenn Ross. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It's, um, and you know they had to get those references in there. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're waiting for it, there is a point where he says to his play date 
you know, kids, cookies are for closers. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I tell you what, this movie is weird. Weird, yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's the best word to describe it. It's far weirder than I expected it to be when I saw it. Especially when, if you don't know where it came from, what the original story uh, was merely just a children's book. Not only that, it was a, a board book. Marla Frazzi wrote and, and illustrated a, you know, maybe 25-page board book. So we're talking about a total of maybe 15 sentences. Yeah. Tops. Yeah. Um, and it's a cute book, you know, and it's about what happens when you bring home a baby. You know, yeah. we got a new boss. Yes. It's and a, he's a total baby. It's a funny twist. It is. On, it's cute, yeah. uh, brief, quick little metaphor brought to life. It's nice. And, so the problem know, here is you got to turn that into an hour and a half Exactly. Movie. Michael McCullers had a lot of space to fill. <laughs> and uh, and it got weird. So the first thing, the first thing it did was layer on with a very sensible storyline about a 7-year-old boy who just really doesn't want to share his parents with a new baby. Okay. Um we've that, that's a that's a provocative and interesting storyline for a children's film, but uh, uh doesn't go far enough. Doesn't take up enough screen time. So then they have to add in the larger conflict which is so much weirder. So uh Alec Baldwin's character comes from Baby Corp and uh, their arch nemesis is Puppy Corp because the CEO of Puppy Corp uh, wants puppies to be more beloved than babies <laughs> because puppies are the only thing cuter than babies right. and babies are losing ground and so Alec Baldwin's been sent to this family where the mom and dad work for Puppy Corp to um, always be cuting always be cuting nice <laughs> to figure out what the next move is from this dastardly puppy company right that's just weird, and it's very convoluted and difficult for children to follow, and, but it still doesn't take up enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got these Glengarry Glenn Ross references, and we've got these Elvis impersonators, and we, I mean, we've got like some Mrs. Doubtfire going on. Almost all of the references are so far over the heads of children, including Mrs. Doubtfire, which is 25 years old, so oh, at I least. Mean, it's... Yeah. Um, and and also just the decisions that the plot makes are just bizarre. So that and and sometimes quite interestingly subversive. But I it's you know it's um I just don't think children are going to stick it out. Yeah, like there's not enough cute things and there's not enough funny things that are aimed at children. It just doesn't hold together. Well, in so many children's movies, it's nice for the parents that come along. When you get those jokes that are kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right. parents will give you something to laugh at. Right. This movie didn't quite seem to know what the balance was. Exactly. I feel like the original idea of the jealous older brother and then this sort of group of neighborhood children, I feel like there really was an actual film there. Yeah. And and they could have worked the Glen Gary Glen Ross things into it, and they could have just the, the metaphor from the original book could have worked. They tried just too hard to come up with a plot for this, and the I, I, the whole thing fell apart. I mean, it's not like it's joyless viewing, but it's just not something I would recommend. So it doesn't really target the young ones too much or the adults too much, and kind of swims in the middle there, and doesn't really satisfy anybody. Yes. Two smaller movies in limited release this week, both interesting. The first one is the latest from the son of Anthony Perkins, Oz Perkins, and it's a movie called The Black Coat's Daughter. Kind of creepy. Oh, I loved it. You know, it's interesting. So he's got two films out almost simultaneously, one on Netflix. If you haven't seen I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, what a great title. It is. You know, and it's a, it's a nice, uh, slow burn, spooky movie. 
Uh, and then the theatrical le- releases is Black Coat's Daughter, which has a lot of, of the same sort of um, visual notions. It is a spooky, slow burn, but it's it's got much more of a gut punch than Pretty Thing. And one of the things that I found so impressive about this movie is that, like a picture book, he is telling two completely separate but married stories with the visual and with the Mm storyline itself. You have to watch and pay attention because he answers almost all of the questions somewhere in that screen. So, So, but the movie has such a, a slow sort of slow build dread about it that you could be lulled into not looking closely. Nice. Um, it's really well done. The performances are great. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And the other one, you might have heard about this week, any movie like this that gets the legend before it hits the theaters of people fainting and barf bags being passed out is going to get some attention. It's a remarkably assured debut feature from a director named Julia DeCarneau, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's the story of a young vegetarian who undergoes a carnivorous hazing at a vet school, and that releases a taste for meat that begins to grow in her to horrific consequences. It's called Raw, and boy, we were really excited to see this. And uh, Super. Yeah, it's something. It is. It is something. <laughs> I think with all the, the legend that preceded it, I didn't find it as quote-unquote gross as maybe I expected because of all the buildup. Yeah, it's actually... A coming-of-age tale. It is very much so. And, it's and, a, and you know what? A pretty nuanced and well-put-together one. Yeah, it is, with you know horrific uh, with scene, a lot of scenes thrown in <laughs> with a lot of meat and a subversive undercurrent of really dark humor, especially at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I love the last line of the film. I really did, which we're not going to give away. But yeah, it's, it's ruminations on women's coming-of-age, women's sexuality, women's role in society, women's... Uh, pressures to conform, how women go after each other with those pressures. And, um, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a man talking on about a women's movie when, (laughs) you know, but, but that's, that's what I saw in it. If, if, if you did the same. No, exactly. That's exactly what I saw. And it, and you know, it explores a lot of the same issues that you see in any sort of coming of age film. It just does it, I think more precisely and with a lot more blood. You know, yeah, a lot more blood, a lot more cannibalism. Yeah, um, because right, because at its heart, it is a it is a cannibalism film, which is hard to do without seeming stupid. To be honest with you, I mean, cannibalism films are usually sort of the height of exploitation, but then you'll find something that isn't like this film, like We Are What We Are, Mm -hmm. and like another French sex and cannibalism movie called. Uh, Trouble Every Day, which this film often reminded me of, actually. But I think it's interesting to point out that Ducourneau kind of joins the ranks of Anna Lily Amapour, who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night two years ago, and Jennifer Kent, who did Babadook Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, as what a phenomenal, brand new, incredibly assured voice in horror, writers and directors all. Um, Very and, much so. And this, yeah, this is a movie. It tells its own story. It knows exactly how it's telling it. It may gross you out while it does it, but that's, it's not done gratuitously. All of the blood, all of the sort of corporeal horror in the film really serves a larger purpose, and the performances are great. Yeah, the lead, Garance Merillier, who plays Justine, is just fantastic. And she looks, she's in a age where she's going to some sort of college. She's away from home. Of so she's got to be 17, 18 years old, but she but looks like she's 14. She does, and her wide-eyed wonder really is perfect for this for this part, as she is coming of age. But she looks so young and then develops a, a ferocity right. as the character builds. 
And I think she really has an instinct for how to use her face and yeah. body. She's very, very expressive because she and goes from sort of a <laughs> judgy prude, right, to something a bit more bestial. And, and she, you know, yeah. the transformation is subtle but very, very impressive. Yeah, so as long as you know what you're in for, a lot of blood and cannibalism, uh, we would recommend Raw. And boy, this is a, this is a big week, a good week big for week. releases on DVD, streaming, and home video. You've got a bunch that we liked a lot, including 20th Century Women, a Loved movie it. that got Annette Bening, uh a lot of a lot of great not an Oscar nomination but uh, she she probably could have had one oh, easily I think so. because it's another film that's based in women in society not a not a bloody look this time no, but no. a very interesting look about a young boy being raised primarily by women and a mother who is very cognizant of trying to get him different types of people to bring him different perspectives and it's uh, very smartly written and very it well really acted. It's really a joy to watch. It, it is. really is. It's a joy to watch, and that is uh, 20th Century Women. Also coming out this week, the latest from Martin Scorsese, and it's called Silence. Yeah, and this is about a couple of monks who travel to um, feudal Japan to find a missing priest who is a missionary. And, uh, and it just looks at... You know their survival, and it looks at questions of faith, and it's it's gorgeous, gorgeous to watch. Yeah, this one was really looked at as a passion project for him. It took him so many right. years to bring to the screen, and he finally did. And maybe not the masterpiece that people were thinking it might be. It, yeah, it's it's very uh, it's very slow and deliberate. And maybe a bit too lofty for its own goals, but it's it's a gorgeous film to watch with some great performances. Also, out on the home video this week, the latest from director Peter Berg and star Mark Wahlberg, and it's Patriots Day. I thought a very very effective movie on, of course, the bombing of a few years ago around the Boston Marathon, and they're just coming off another solid effort in Deepwater Horizon. Sure, and now they do this, another tale of everyday heroics, I guess you would say, and they really seem to have this style down this pattern down and they do it really well this is is gripping and well told and well acted and uh we recommend patriots day and another one that we love so much it's a mostly animated movie from a children's book called a monster calls and it's so good it's beautiful it's brilliant it is it is gut-wrenching heartwarming i just loved this movie yeah Liam Neeson is the voice of the monster yep. and it, it deals with issues of loss and grief and moving on and it does it in such a tender nuanced way that you just can't help but fall in love with it it's true fantastic beasts and where to find them that is out on home video this week one that didn't blow us away but it certainly has its fans and it's it's and okay. It's pretty charming. Yeah, it, it is, is charming. charming. Film. Yeah, we didn't love it. And then there's also another little something comes out right now. What is that one? What? Rogue One. What? A Star Wars story. Loved that one very much. In fact, that one really surprised me, I guess, um, in, in how much I did like it and how well it brought the story. I didn't realize, spoiler alert, I think everybody knows by now, that it brings the story right up to the moment that Star Wars A New Hope begins. Right. And I think one of the biggest barometers about how successful this movie is in its story is that it makes you think and look at A New Hope in a completely different way. It has it adds a whole nother layer. Agreed. Opening in theaters next week is director Zach Braff and his remake of 1979's Going in Style, this time starring Morgan Freeman. Michael Caine, Alan Arkin. And also next week is Smurfs, 
the lost village. Uh, uh, not a fan of the Smurfs, no, I can tell you that, no. but uh, we'll see how that fares. So let us know what you think of uh, especially Ghost in the Shell, maybe, if you got some differing thoughts about uh, the original Ghost in the Shell. We didn't like it, but we at least give a lukewarm recommendation to uh, the new Ghost in the Shell. You can always hit us up on Twitter. That's the best way. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, Mad Wolf. Columbus on Facebook and all our written reviews and other shenanigans happening all the time at MadWolf.com. The Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. And until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.